Let's pray. We'll pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that we can come together as a community, that we can walk in your way. Lord, we thank you for the grace you constantly give us, Father. We are at times at a loss for word while we experience your grace, and yet we are grateful for your grace. We are grateful for um, your mercy being everlasting, and you know we need it, and so we're grateful that you give it to us. Amen. Thank you for the brotherhood we share here, that you have called us all in different walks of life to participate in this life in Christ. Amen. Jesus, you are good, and your, um, your goodness reveals itself every single day. We love you, we thank you, and pray for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, so we we're, we're actually wanted to jump right in because I want to create space for discussion that you guys were already doing, so. <clears throat> you guys weren't having discussion? Injuries, let's go, man. <laughs> this is what happens when we get old. Um, <laughs> Cool. Let's go to uh, let's go to Mark chapter one. So what last time we talked, we talked about our families, us as, as men setting the pace for our families. That's really important. God has uniquely called us to that. And now we're gonna kind of the so macro big picture, we're all called to kind of set the pace um, for our families because we want to imitate our forebearer, Abraham, and his faith. And now we're going to talk a little bit more explicitly about us imitating Jesus. This is going to sound controversial to some of you, but the definition of biblical manhood is Jesus. Now, this is all, this, that's not the controversial part. The controversial part is Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so in Genesis 1, when we read that man and woman were made in the image of God, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says Jesus is the image of God. So really, when we talk about Jesus being the perfect image of manhood, in so many ways, he's the perfect image of personhood. Like who Jesus is, who we all should be, male and female. And really, the Bible maps out that trajectory. But for us in particular, since we are, are men and we're talking about it, I want to put that big picture before us that everything I'm saying here could all equally apply to the women. And that's just the vision of the scriptures. And if you're, you're scandalized by that, then don't read the rest of the New Testament letters, okay? The rest of that will scandalize you even further. So let's go to Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Mark chapter 1, verse 17. If you are in the title business, if you like titles, become like Jesus, the title. Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Come, follow me, Jesus said. Come, follow me. That is an invitation to apprentice under Jesus. For everyone who would follow after Jesus, this is the invitation. Come, follow me. And now I want you to think first century rabbi. So it isn't so much that, oh, come follow him as if you're showing, he's showing us where the bathroom is. He is saying, take on my disposition. He is inviting these people, which was unique. Usually, the apprentice will scope out the rabbi and say, man, I want to be a student of his. And they would approach him and say, hey, can I be a student of yours? And the rabbi will put him through a testing period. Then Jesus kind of flips it on his head and calls these individuals 
first um, Peter and um, Andrew, then James and John later. But he's calling them to follow him. And that's really our call. All of us are called to follow Jesus. That's one of the most hardest things to keep at the forefront of our hurried, busy 24 hour schedule. Like when you're at the workplace, you're supposed to be following Jesus. And I get it. When you're there, you're not even thinking about it. I, I send emails. It's easy because I'm a minister that I could think about Jesus a lot. But I send emails. And I don't think about following Jesus when I'm sending emails. I'm like, Jesus ain't sent no email his entire life. And yet I recognize the, even that, how I send emails, the disposition, my spirit is really important. And so Jesus' invitation to us is to be like him, be with him, and to do what he did as if he lived our lives. That's his invitation. That's a high calling. It's not always easy, but that's the call. Let's go to Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Can I get someone to read that? The verse? Um, 11, 28 through 30. Okay. It says, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Nice. So Jesus here, again, invitation. Anyone who's weary, Jesus is like, I have, I have good news for you. You can have this, this relationship with me. You can have this apprenticeship with me. But he says something that's very important for us to hear. He doesn't say he has no yoke, and he doesn't say he doesn't have any burden. A yoke was something you put on an oxen. So two oxen will be plowing, and they had this yoke so they could kind of work together. Jesus said, I have a yoke that I want to put on you, but it's easy. And I have a burden that I want to put on you, so something on your back that's light. Our culture is going to put a yoke and a burden on us regardless. You may have the yoke and burden of self-actualization, like become a millionaire, billionaire. That yoke is hard <laughs> and it's heavy, man. It's discouraging. You may have the yoke of being popular. Most of us are out of school, so most of us probably don't care about popular. But maybe some of you do care. You want to have more social media followers and you have that yoke. You're trying to figure it out. Jesus is saying, my yoke in particular is easy and light. And it's easy and light because we were designed to be like Christ. And so when we start to function like Christ, it actually feels like a glove that fits. You're like, oh, man, it actually feels good to be kind. It actually feels good to be compassionate. It feels good to be patient. In the moment, we're not excited when we're being these things, especially if we're used to not being those things. But big picture, when we lean into the yoke of Jesus, it's a huge encouragement. Now, I want to repeat, because all of us come from some sort of fall, being like Jesus is not natural. We're all tainted to some extent. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the taint, but I want us to understand that it's the standard and goal for all of us in here to be like Jesus. Amen. And we want to prioritize what it means to be like Jesus. You know, a lot of times you hear that and it can feel nebulous. Like, what does it mean to be like Jesus? I've got to walk around in sandals and collect 12 people and say some parables? Of course not. You can do that. You can. You stand out in a funny way. 
but it's about who he is as a person. And I really want to encourage us, though we know this, Jesus' private life was why he could do his public life. Like, so we want to be the person who could look at the Sermon on the Mount and be like, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to turn the other cheek if someone attacks me. If you're not doing the things that Jesus was doing in his private life, if your natural disposition is to fight back, that's going to come to the surface. You got about one second to be righteous. <laughs> Seriously, unless you train yourself, you got about one second. So whatever is naturally there is going to brew to the top. So if you are naturally sarcastic, someone's going to say something and you're like, and you're like how did that come out? Why did that come out? You have to train yourself to say, okay, even when no one's listening, even in other settings, I'm building people up, building people up, building people up, building people up. When I finally get insulted, the first thing that came out of my mouth was blessing that curse. But it took a lot of private work. Maybe for some of us, that's cutting music out of our lives. You know, you, you watch, if you watch TV shows that have a lot of sarc- sarcasm, you may need to cut that. You know, I remember watching um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And they never talk about money. It's like the whole game show and everything else. But the end of who wants to be a millionaire, every single time I would hear what people would say, I'm going to pay off my debt. I'm going to get my mom a house. And I just remember just being so discontented. I'm like, I wish I could just go on a game show and win a million dollars immediately. It was hitting something at a discontented heart level. Nothing's wrong with being a millionaire. But it was causing something in me where I was content until I watched that show. Once I was done watching that show, I'm like, man, I'm over here doing whatever. I got to figure out how to get on this show, which I wouldn't even do well. I'm not good with trivia. And yet and still. So our, every community in this entire world has deficiencies. I say that respectfully. Like, I have the utmost respect for all of you guys making any decision to follow Jesus. None of us do it perfectly. And it is hard, and I recognize that. And I pray for you guys a lot, fairly consistently, to honor God. And I know it's difficult. So here it is coming from a a, a posture of not, not harsh judgment. I don't judge you guys harshly because I, too, have deficiencies. But every community has deficiencies. And the remedy to those deficiencies is apprenticing under Jesus, discipleship under Jesus. That's really the remedy. This community becomes what we want it to be when we follow Jesus. I think some of us have settled for a, a sort of discipleship that is, when we think of high school 2.0, like if I get a 2.0, I will get my diploma. Some of us have settled for a discipleship, an apprenticeship to Jesus, that's 2.0. And we say things like, what's the bare minimum I got to do to hear well done, good and faithful servant? Like, I want to hear Jesus just accept me in the pearly gates and love up on me. What's the bare minimum? And I think a huge part of what prevents us from being like Christ is we never really intended to be like Christ. We just wanted to be the bare minimum to hear well done, good and faithful servant. The gospel does not hold out hope for a heaven in the distant future. It, it, it gives us hope for eternal life now. That we can start living into what we will fully inherit in the future. And I think we got to want that. Like, it's just like for those of us who are married, your marriage will be healthy and successful if you want a healthy and successful marriage. But if your disposition is, I just don't want to fight with my wife today, that will not be a healthy marriage. You may not fight with her. You may fight with her. But if the goal is I want a healthy and encouraging and warm marriage, 
That puts you in a ballpark to really achieve that. And so Jesus' plan for any deficiency in the community is discipleship, apprenticeship within community. This is why Jesus chose 12 people. So none of us are intended to be disciples of Jesus on our own personal island. There's not an island of Steve where I figure out everything that God is doing in my life by myself. I show up on Sunday, but I'm in my own personal island. So we're all individual islands just trying to figure it out. God is like, no, I'm creating a continent. Everyone's converging on one another. And if you could think of the most gnarly tectonic plates happening, we're bumping into each other. We're causing issues. We're causing problems. Some people just don't get it. We're shifting the wrong way. And yet God's vision for the church is we all come together and we form this continent. Paul, Paul ain't know that metaphor. I added one to the scriptures. <laughs> no, I ain't to, but it wouldn't be cool if he said the continent. Um, but he, I don't think he knew about the tectonic plates. Nor, or maybe his audience didn't know and they didn't care. But now we know. <clears throat> And what I describe is not even scientifically possible. Like, if that's happening, it's just going to be chaos. So his body metaphor is 10 times better. So, um, so he chose 12. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. So we are called to apprenticeship to Jesus in community with one another. Can I get a volunteer to read that? Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Amen. I share this not because we have the same unique calling that the Apostle Paul had. We, I, I don't think we, none of us have been blind on the road to Emmaus. I mean, on the road to Damascus. None of us have been blind there. So we don't have that unique calling. But Paul had a focus. He kind of knew, and the word that stands out to me is aim. He had an aim. He knew what he was trying to do. I think it's very easy for many of us to go through the motions of everyday life. You know, you're like, I think the game plan is to live my life, retire, and then figure out how to get another 20 years out of that life and then kick the bucket, man. Like, that's it. That's what the Lord has for me. And yet, I would argue that there's an even bigger vision of what God wants for all of us. But it requires us focusing on what God has for us. And a huge part of us figuring that out is through community. One of the main reasons we lose sight of the aim is discouragement. I think our, our society has taught us, as men in particular, that any emotion like discouragement, like um, disappointment, frustration, um, helplessness, all those emotions are so bad, but you feel them anyway. And now you're like, I got to do it in private. Now, our society also is making really good work with the mental health stuff, and we're encouraging people to go see therapy. And I think every therapist will tell you, good, you started here. You connected with me. But you need a brotherhood. You need other people to talk to. You need larger community to process these things with. And I think a lot of times we get discouraged like anyone else because we're not getting encouraged. It's easy to see this spiritual um, idea line up with, when you're working with young children. So I have two boys. Four and one to six months. The four-year-old right now is learning a lot of different things. But, you know, there are certain things he's not good at. And he comes up and he's like, Dad, I don't know how to put this. We, we were trying to put the fork together. 
So we built a fort in our living room. And he's like, I don't know how to put this fort together, Dad. And I'm like, oh, have you, given it, have you given it a try? No, I can't do it, Dad. This is really difficult. I don't got lo- as long arms as you. I'm like, it got nothing to do with arms. I'm like, just give it a shot. I can't do it, Dad. And he goes, calls Jules. Jules, Jules is his mother. So Jules comes, and then Jules is like, okay, I'll help. I'm like, no, 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 don't help him. He got this. And then, she, and then he starts crying, and I'm like, okay, maybe today we don't want the fort. That's okay. Sometimes we don't want what we really, really want. Maybe we could do something else. He's like, but I really want to build the fort. I'm like, let's give it a shot then. He's like, but mom, mom, dad, why don't you help me? I'm like, no, let's give it a shot. You got it. He gets up there. He puts the little thing. It's not tight all the way. Then he puts another part, and I'm just building my mommy. You got it, bro. I'm like, wow, look at this. Master builder, tent maker right here. I'm like, we're going to send you to school to build tents, dude. The fort isn't good. So I came back behind him, and I made it solid. And I showed him how to make it solid. Then he said, no, Dad, I got the next one. I can do it myself. Then he said, he went in his bedroom and built another fort. He's like, I could do it myself. I say that to say we need encouragement. We need sincere encouragement. The quitting button is so easy. It's so easy just to quit, self-loathe. You know, sometimes we buy into the lie that everything we need to do, we need to knock it out the park. Any of you who've ever played baseball know, I think your first swing wasn't out the park. Unless you're Tim Conley. Your first swing, you knocked it out the park, and you're like, I'm a natural. I got it. <laughs> we believe in you, Tim. We, we need to go to a park, find somewhere where Tim could go, and we're all going to cheer him on and say, you can knock it out the park. And then when he comes home base, we all give him a big hug, like Rick his dad. <clears throat> but what, what I'm saying is we need encouragement. As we're processing really real emotions, real, really difficult things, we need encouragement. Amen. We need people supporting us. Now, encouragement don't mean fluffiness. If you're a knucklehead, encouragement is stop being a knucklehead. <laughs> it doesn't mean fluffiness. It doesn't mean like, oh, yeah, I'm going to act like I don't recognize you're on a self-destructive path. But I'm going to encourage you to get off that self-destructive path. I'm going to do it with love. I'm going to do it with patience. I'm going to do it with compassion. But I'm going to encourage you. And then sometimes as a friend, I may encourage you, like, you know, this season, it's okay to pray and find yourself and reorient yourself in God. So Paul was able to keep his eyes on this aim because he was able to always push through discouragement. And so the middle of all the question is, who knows you? I think many of us um, who are imports to Portland, we have relationships outside of Portland that maybe we keep in fairly close contact with. And yet, the vision of Scripture is, you know, how many times you read in the New Testament, face to face, face to face, face to face. Like, God really wants us to know each other. And that feels so uncomfortable, because if I unload my junk on you, you're going to be like, Steve, your life is a mess. And here's the reality. Here's the reality. My life probably is a mess if I unload my junk on you. But so is yours. We all got varying degrees of mess, but your life is a mess too. Yeah. But I think we have the fear of, well, my life is a big, big, big mess. Well, praise the Lord, we got a big, big, big God. Amen. He has the biggest broom you can imagine. He could clean the mess if you give yourself wholly to him. Yeah. And we could support in that work. 
And so who knows you? Many of you are familiar with the iceberg analogy, right? That 90% of an iceberg is underwater, 10% of the iceberg is at the top. What we mostly see in the fellowship is the 10%. Like, I look at you guys, and I'm like, oh, man, these dudes are like the pinnacle of confidence. They got it all together. They're winsome. They're charming. They're cool. They're fit. They make good money. They laugh. They know trivia. I'm like, these guys are put together. <laughs> Shout out to you, Rinaldi. <laughs> He, he knows trivia. <laughs> I'm like, these guys are put together. These guys are radically put together. And I, and I walk into service and I'm like, I just gave you an encouraging story about Spur and Steven. I'm like, oh, the night before, I was like, I don't care what he has to say. I know I need to love this dude, but I don't care. He's talking about stuff I don't care about. And then my wife is like, hey, can you help put away the dishes? And I'm like, only because of Jesus. But I'm like, that's not even a good heart only because of Jesus. <laughs> but that's where I was. And I'm like, I'm going to turn around and talk to these guys on Sunday about the love of Christ and how they need to serve. But I'm at home like, only because of Jesus I'll do this for you. Because if it wasn't Jesus, I wouldn't help you accept, man. I only put two dishes in there. Those are my only two. Even though you fed my entire family, both our boys and everything else. Though I only put two there. Let me take two out. That's where I was. And so I walk in the service thinking, you guys got it together. You know, like, oh, man, look, everyone's always happy. Everyone, it's always sunny in Portland, Maine. <laughs> if I didn't read the scriptures, I would believe that. But because I read the scriptures, I know everyone here is a mess, and I know everyone's going through something. But the issue is, when that's not, I, 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 you, I like to assume you're talking to someone about it, but the reality is you're probably not. Because how do you begin that conversation? I think the most real and vulnerable community in most states in this country is AA. Like, you just off the bat, my name is Steve, and I'm an alcoholic. You're like, whoa. And then you proceed to tell the story. And you're like, wow. Like, there you go. I think in, in Christian communities, a lot of time is, my name is Steve, and let me tell you what's wrong with the church. My name is Steve, and let me tell you what's wrong with my spouse. My name is Steve, and let me tell you who or what prevented me from being who or what I wanted to be. My name is Steve and everything is absolutely perfect. I'm living the dream. Like I can't complain. You see this whole life, I, I'm living the dream. And sometimes we believe our own lies. Let's go to James um, chapter 5, verse 16. That's not to say we need to live in a season of discouragement. I'm not saying that, but I am saying we need to know each other so we can start focusing on the aim that Christ has for us. If you're happy, I want you to be happy. I don't want you to like manufacture um, discouragement. But I, I do recognize there's a need for authenticity in how we communicate with one another. James 5.16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So how, how do we explore the iceberg? Part of the biggest issue um, sometimes we think is what we have to overcome is feelings. But feelings are a crucial part of who we are before God. God has given us feelings and feelings are a good indicator. Now, we don't want to be slaves to feelings. But we want to use those feelings to kind of 
get in, get get in touch with God is potentially trying to communicate to us through feelings. Now, some of us need to extend our feeling vocabulary. You probably got four feelings in your feelings vocabulary. Happy, angry, sad, more angry. And you're like, okay, but there's disappointment. There's uh, shame. There's confusion. There's um, anger. There's apathy. There's um, sadness. There's joy, there's happiness, there's suspicion. Suspicion is a feeling. I feel suspicious of you. You know, like there, there, there's a number and a range of emotions that we need to kind of discern if we're going to be a people who could confess our sins to one another. I think a lot of times most of us have been culturally conditioned to confess maybe four or five sins. So anything in, mo- most of us in here, anything in the sexual realm, we'll, we will confess. If you lost you're cool, you know, like you, you clearly see a fit of rage. Anything that scared anyone else, we essentially confess. So he's like, <laughs> everyone looks scared. He's like, I think I should confess that. <laughs> I don't think everyone should be looking at me like that. So, okay, that was wrong. But then there was a lot of other things that we just are like, do I have to talk about that? Not recognizing that unconfessed sin, it does something to us. It burdens us. It holds us down. It strips us of confidence. It strips us of focus. It is very challenging to live in a life where you feel like I'm reading the teachings of Jesus. I know my life is in alignment with this, but everyone else's life is in alignment with this. So maybe I'm the only one going through this and I just don't want to burden anyone that I'm going through this. You see, here's the reality. We feel certain things and some of us think we could push past things. Unprocessed emotions don't die. They just get buried alive. Those things will come back. We need to be able to talk about it. That thing you were upset about with me or your wife or whoever three months ago that you're like, you know, I'm just going to move past. You ain't going to move past because I'm going to do one simple thing. I'm going to touch your eraser and you're going to blow up at me. And you're going to be like, Steve, you're entitled. And I'm like, I'm entitled. I'm going to like, you're crazy. That's not a Christian word, in the, <laughs> but it's a Greek word, right? <laughs> but I'm going to say, I'm like, wow, where did this come from? But a huge part of it is we're not paying attention to the things that actually lead to the sins that we're, we're, we're selecting. You know, if we're going to be the men that God wants us to be, we need to have a different degree of transparency with one another. Like it needs to be meaningful. We need, to, we need each other to help us discern what's going on. Our deepest desires, God speaks almost always through our feelings. We just got to get good at listening to them. Not our carnal desires, but our deepest desires. And sometimes we get so focused on our exterior appearance, whether that's our resume, whether that's how we physically look, that we don't do the interior work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us. The second Corinthians four, outwardly I'm wasting away, yet inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. We partner with God in that work. Now he does the brunt of the work, but we partner with God in that work. And so becoming a person who could be transparent starts with being able to figure out the emotions that are undergirding things. Now, some of the emotions that we feel do lead us to sin. And so we're going to name some sins here. Because I think we've gotten in the habit of not confessing sin. I think it's naturally that, you know, in, in, in Psalms, the psalmist says, all men are liars. 
But I think most men that I engage with don't really confess being dishonest. You're like, you know, when was the last time I confessed to another dude that I was dishonest? Maybe I talked to God about it, which is probably the most important person to talk. But when was the last time I told someone, you know, that day when we were talking the other day, I exaggerated. I lied. It didn't even exaggerate. I just lied. I like flat out lied. And you're like, wow. Most of us wouldn't even tear you apart. Most of us would be like, whoa, you lied. Well, thank God you just lied. Not that you lied. We don't want you lying. But you know what? Since you're talking about lying, let me talk about lying. Hey, I lied about this, this, and this. And then you grow in your integrity. Next time someone's going to be like, don't lie about this and this and go tell the person you lie. But then you go back usually most of the time. Sometimes you do, there's some heavy um, consequences for dishonesty. But most of the time people forgive you and you recognize I didn't even need to lie. They would have been okay with what was the real reality in the situation. So let's look at some list of sins. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. And as we're reading this, I I want you to ask yourself, in the last month, have I given into the flesh as we read this list? And if I have, who in the city of Portland have I spoken to that's a follower of Jesus? Now, maybe you got some really good friends who are not in the city of Portland and you talk to them consistently. But in the city of Portland, who have you spoken to about these things? Let's go to Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Well, let's jump down. I, 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 I think all of us in here would confess if we were involved in idolatry. I'm just going to assume if you're consciously worshiping Zeus, you would get open about that. Because it, it does a horrible paradigm to this following Jesus stuff. So you're going to be open about that. We're going to get there. Let's go to verse 28. Furthermore, Jesse did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So God gave them over to a depraved mind. So that they do what ought not to be done. They have been filled with every kind of wickedness, evil. You know, you're thinking, I, I haven't done anything wicked or evil this week. Greed. Is he talking about food or is he talking about money? Greed. Depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Everyone in America is guilty of this. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity. They're not faithful. No mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees and those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do the very things, but also approve of those who practice them. How many of us have been boastful in the last month? You know, maybe we, we humble brag, you know, just talking like, man, I'm like the funniest guy I know. Look how sexy I am. I'm like sexy. I'm like H-O-T. Yes. And, you know, you're looking in the mirror, you're getting your flex on. And you're like, nah, that's building me up. That's building me up. How many of us have been in positions where no mercy? You know, maybe your least favorite political person did something and you're like, That idiot needs to get shipped out of here. I hate that idiot. He's a senile old man. Both of them are being called senile old man. So if you're thinking I'm leaning one way or another, that's that's the critiques that (laughs) both these guys are getting. Senile old men. Um, How many of us did not show love to someone this week, in the last two weeks? But again, I think we have it in our natural disposition. I'm not going to talk about it. Some of us are not even thinking about it. You got... 
There's so many other things happening that you're like, I got no time to slow down and zero in on what's going on. Let's go to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter three, beginning in verse one. It says, but mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. The last days are when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the father. So from that point on, we've been in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Isn't that a good thing? Like lovers of the self? Like Jesus, what are you? And Paul, like lovers of yourself? What's wrong with that? Lovers of money. I never seen someone change the world being broke, except Jesus. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. How do you define ungrateful? Um, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self control, brutal. Not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. How many of us it took some time to be like, man, you know what? I think there's something good about self confidence and self care, but maybe I'm edging too close on lover of self. I'm always trying to protect me to the point that I can't even deny myself anymore. That I become a worshiper of the self. Lovers of money. I, man, all of us being born here, man, it, this country throws money in your face, man. Every time you go to the gas station, you're like, man, if I don't got it, <laughs> it's so discouraging. But some of us, we, we think about money. We are connected, and I'm confessing my own sin. When my bank account goes under $600, you want to see the flesh come out? That's when. If I'm swiping and I'm going and I look at my bank account at $600, uh, someone calls me. I don't got time for that. No, we're not going to do that. I start nickel and diamond everything. I get angry more easily because I recognize money plays a huge role in the story that was given to me from my parents and the story that was given to me from this nation. And while I have been trying my best to understand that my security is not in money, my security is in God, even if I got savings. But if I, even if I blow through all of that, at the end of the day, the most important thing can never be taken from me. They could take everything else. They can't take that. But in my heart, I'm like, but if they take everything else, I might give that up to get everything else back. And I got to wrestle with that. Like I want my, my, my flesh wants my money. Not like I'm, I'm not I'm not going to be like one of those preachers in sneakers. You know what I mean? You're not going to see me in a private jet. That's not where. <laughs> I just want to be able to pay my bills and live just a little comfortably. But I'm a, I, I could at times fall of love of money. Boastful, proud, ungrateful. Ungr uh, lacking gratitude is normal in our culture. Mm. Yeah. I, one thing unique about the South in particular is everyone say thank you for everything. Like, it doesn't matter what they do for you, you say thank you. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Sometimes you don't even consciously even think about what the person's doing for you. They walk up to you and they touch something. Thank you. And they walk away. You're like, did they take it? Or did they give it? Like, what, did they, what just happened? But you said thank you anyway because it's just natural to appreciate service. But I do think there's a huge part of us that 
we've moved away from a gratitude culture and moved yeah. toward an entitlement culture. Like, I expect you to do this for me. I expect you to show up for me. And again, it does something to you. All these sins, Jesus, God isn't just calling these things sins because he doesn't want you to have fun. It does something to you, and it does something to community. We're going to look at um, one more, and it's in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness, rage, brawling, slander, all forms of malice. Be kind and compassionate and forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Let's go down to verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a person as the idler, has any inheritance of the... any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So, of course, joking amongst really close friends is natural. You know, like that's just about as natural as it gets if you grew up in, in the world. That's, that's where locker room talk comes from. You know, you just say random things, you talk. Like, we, we, we trivialize the sacredness of sex a little bit. Like, we, we're going to say coarse jokes, we're going to do whatever. That's normal, but how many of us confess it? Because, well, it's, it's so cultural. You're like, what am I confessing? We all kind of do it a little bit, you know? Like, you, you're like, oh, look at that brother with his tight pants, man. I bet he can't breathe. And then, you know, and then you're like, I bet his, he and his old lady, and you just go there, and you're like, everyone's laughing, but you're like, ah, that's, if he heard that, if she heard that, would anyone be built up besides us two laughing about this? Would anyone else be built up? Would anyone eavesdrop on this conversation and be like, the blood of Christ has set these two apart? Mm. They, no, they'll be like, oh, these are two jock-type dudes who are just doing jock-type of things. Slander, unwholesome speech. You know, in our private life, we, we, we use things like, man, you're such an idiot. You're dumb. That's a dumb thing. Like, ugh. And, you know, sometimes we even justify it. Like, you just need to get tough. Like, you're so sensitive, man. Like, all this weak-willed Christian stuff. But if someone spoke to you the way you sometimes speak to people, you would want to fight. And you'd be like, yo, Tim, you're such a wuss, man. You big old pansy. You're like 6'3", and you barely can accomplish anything. You big butt face. 6'4". <laughs> <laughs> You know, but then we're, we're like, <laughs> he's supposed to, like, oh, yeah, man, he, like, he, he really told, like, we, we talk to people like that. Sometimes we talk to our partners like that. You know, we go back and forth, like, man, what, 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 and you're like, man, yeah, I got something from that. You got nothing from it. You tore it down, and you tore yourself down in the process. Yeah, yeah. But we're okay with that, because we're like, well, you know, 
I grew up tough. Yeah, I get it. We all had really tough situations. Some of us have been physically abused by our fathers. Some of us have been physically abused by our mothers. We all had tough situations, but Christ is calling us to something different. He's calling us to language that builds people up. And I think even foolish talk. This is like so hard to detect. Foolish talk is that kind of talk that it starts with if I wasn't a Christian. You already know you have crossed over into foolish talk. Once that phrase come out of your mouth, if I wasn't a Christian, fill in the blank. If I wasn't a Christian, man, I would punch that guy in the face. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd be a millionaire. If I was, what you're essentially saying is I think low-key I kind of regret following Christ. Just be open. Be vulnerable. Be like, I think I regret following Christ. Because if I wasn't following Christ, I would have been divorced from my wife. And you'd be like, okay, that's a real vulnerable situation. Let's, let's unpack that. Let's pray. Let's look at scriptures. Let's talk. Let me hear you, etc. Again, we're all, scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you walk out of here feeling like, man, I'm a mess. Why am I even doing this? Ah, you missed the point. Everyone in here is a mess. And we get to do it together. We're like this big shipwreck that come together and get to call each other community. <laughs> we should be the shipwreck at church. <laughs> We're just a mess, which is awesome. We're Jesus' mess. We're Jesus' mess, and it's awesome. So here's what I want us to do. Um, we'll break up into, we'll do by community groups because I want the conversations to continue. Just get open. We're, we're going to have a love up, love bomb on each other, encouragement. Let's just get open on what's been happening. We'll break up by community groups. If no one in your community group is present, you can just jump into any other groups and feel encouraged. But we'll break up by community groups just to see how we've been doing. Because if we're going to be like Jesus, it starts with us being radically open about who we are. And we'll use that for the rest of the time together.